The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Here is some great news for American Road Magazine readers and lovers of the open road. Celebrate the golden age of Route 66. The cars, the music, the food, the friends made along the way, all brought together at the International Route 66 Mother Road Festival in Springfield, Illinois. It's being held this month, September 27 through 29. Unlike many festivals, this one offers free spectator admission. Don't miss the spectacular 2000 car Friday night classic car cruise right into downtown and then the unforgettable burnout competition on Saturday. The International Route 66 Mother Road Festival is coming up quickly. Get your motor running and head out to historic Springfield, Illinois. And welcome to American Road Trip Talk. I'm Eric Ryder, and of course, the voice you heard at the beginning of the show and you hear regularly on the program is Gary Mance, your host of the program. And we do have him joining us today, along with his partner, Suzanne Mitchell. And they're on the road in New England today, giving us an update on their first vacation. Is that right? In the New England area, Gary and Suzanne, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely true. All my life I've wanted to, and that's saying something, for decades I've wanted to come up to New England to see this region of the country, the only region I had not visited. Suzanne, I think, had been here once, and she's here with me on the road trip of a lifetime. We're having a great time. Fantastic. Now, is it too early to see the, the leaves change? Because that's what uh, people seem to talk about when it comes to New England, about how beautiful it is when the, the leaves start changing in the fall. Now, we just uh, are on the cusp of fall right now. So um, I'm wondering, is it colorful there? It is colorful, and Eric, and it's uh, just beginning to turn now. We've seen some trees that have many red leaves on them and still some green ones. We've seen some yellow leaves. We've seen a couple of trees that were either all orange or all brown, but still most of them are green, so this is just the beginning of the leaf-changing season. Nice. And where specifically are we reaching you today? Today we're in Bar Harbor, Maine, and this trip has been Boston to Bar Harbor because we flew into Boston and stayed there for three days. Then we went to Portland, Maine from Boston, which is really just a two-hour ride, and stayed in Portland for two days. And now we are up in Bar Harbor, Maine, which is about uh, another three hours up the coast, getting very, very close to Canada on the very eastern part of the United States. We, of course, have been to Vancouver when we were living in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Now we are very, very close to the Canadian border on the most eastern part of where we are in Maine. Beautiful. And hopefully uh, stocking up on the maple syrup, because <laughs> both New England and Canada are well known for the, the maple syrup. That's true. If we are heading back, I, I think we're going to get to New Hampshire leaving here tomorrow, and they will borrow some from their neighbors in Vermont, where, of course, it's the world capital of maple syrup, the finest you can get on this planet. Don't know if we're going to get to Vermont this trip or not. Massachusetts and Maine, for sure, and a little bit of New Hampshire. But wherever you go, of course, they have Vermont maple syrup for sale at any kind of gift shop or restaurant that you could name. 
outside of a fast food place, I suppose. And so, yes, it is magnificent here. They also have breakfast eateries, and I'm speaking specifically of Bar Harbor. This is a mile from the entrance to Acadia National Park, which is absolutely gorgeous and certainly deserves its designation as a national park. But if you go just for breakfast, there are places that are open only for breakfast or breakfast and lunch, not unlike Seattle and many other places in the country. And you sample the local fare. It has even local nicknames. I don't recommend maple syrup on lobster. (laughs) Zan Mitchell decided that she could not leave Maine without having a local lobster. And they even have nicknames for the way you choose to have it prepared for you. And you chose one way in particular because you were just not wanting to get too messy the other night, Suzanne. The uh, lobster was called Lazy Lobster. And when you order lobster lazy... That means that they do all the cracking and take all the meat out for you. And in some cases, they charge you for it. And in other restaurants, they don't charge you for it. And so we were at a place that didn't charge. And they said, would you like your lobster lazy? (laughs) And I said, yes, it suits me just fine. So I, I was presented with a nice plate of lobster in a little butter sauce there. And uh, didn't have to do any of the hard work myself. No bib, no sloppy stuff all over me. And it was absolutely delicious. And, of course, fresh. Because when we are looking at the, the coves, the bays, the Atlantic Ocean, all the places that are in and around this area, you see a lot of lobster traps. Mm-hmm. So you know you're not getting it frozen. You're getting it fresh. Right. Now, would you say that uh, most Mainers uh, have their... Lobster lazy, or is that uh, just something for the the tourists, maybe? I'm thinking it's a tourist thing, but Mm. I I really don't know. (laughs) It's a very different part of our trip. We divided our trip into two so far, and we're not nearly done. The first part was really the urban part of our trip and seeing all the historical sites of Boston. The second part of the trip is much more rural, much more Mm. touristy. And the the um, trees in and around Maine, of course, remind Gary and I both very much of the Seattle area because there are so many evergreens. You see a lot of pines, a lot of evergreens. And so we had the, the fast-paced in-town Boston part first. And in the second half, we are getting the quieter national park version of our trip. So it's kind of been nice to have it separated because they've been very distinct in what it is that we've seen and done during the last week. Beautiful. Well, um, can you maybe start out with uh, some of your impressions of Boston, since that's where the trip started? Boston. I always wanted to get to Boston. I just didn't want to come to the end of my life and say that I hadn't gotten there. I haven't been to the Big Apple of New York either. That's going to be on the bucket list for sure but when it comes to boston there is so much of it that that really earns the the nickname or the designation cradle of liberty i found myself humbled when i was there to go through so much early american history and so much of it pre-revolutionary war and then of course you can follow the freedom trail which is a walking timeline of american history from colonial days to American independence. It was just extraordinary to see all the places they have that are very well maintained, 
but not in a way that suggests tourism. I think I'm, more, I'm most grateful for that, looking at it being a tourist, that I didn't feel like I was in a Disney version of anything, if you know what I mean. Disney does Disney like nobody else, but when it comes to history, Boston is unique, and they make sure to retain the historical character in a way that is respectful of the past, and yet relatively easy to get to as long as you know which bus to take or the T-line or you call up Uber, whatever it is that you need to do to get to these places, you just plan accordingly and be patient with the traffic because in Boston it's always a case of heavy traffic Mm. morning, noon, and night. And so uh, with that in mind, you get to some very special places in the history of America as long as you can exercise a little patience realizing that you're in a very crowded place. Favorite site that you saw in Boston? Well, the one, you know, I'll tell you, Eric, when I was in the, um, it seems to me it was called, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Suzanne, I think it was the Granary Burying Ground rather than cemetery. This is going back to maybe the 17th century. The Granary Burying Grounds, which is very close to Boston Common. And when I was there, and there's a church nearby with the steeple that suggests so much of early America, it was gorgeous. But I went to this uh, graveyard, and, of course, you can get a map. They just ask you to take, take it, use it, and then bring it back when you're done. I was able, very close by the street, I found this extraordinary, right by the street, you could throw a penny and hit uh, cars if you wanted to drive by. It was that close to this grave site of Samuel Adams, who was known as a great son of liberty, a great agitator mm-hmm. for the patriot cause. And right next to him, you have Crispus Attucks buried with others who died in the Boston Massacre. Crispus Attucks is iconic for being the, uh, a runaway slave, and he was the first African-American of note to actually die for the patriot, patriotic cause. And he did so despite the fact, as we learned from one of the tour guides, he actually died fighting against oppression from the, the crown, at the time, even though being a runaway slave, had he been caught, if he wasn't executed immediately, he would have been sent back to the slave owner. And thus he was fighting at that time for a liberty that he could not participate in. That that just breaks your heart when you think about it. Mm. And he gave his life for liberty. Yeah. And they're buried just right right next to the road. You have buses going by, these cars, people, people all the time walking and stopping. And in the case of Samuel Adams, the people will pay their respects because it's a wide enough headstone that they put pennies, like lucky pennies. They will put stones, little pieces of wood, something that indicates, you know, so-and-so was there at the gravesite of Samuel Adams, one of the people to whom we owe an endless debt for our personal liberties in this country. And uh, while you were in the Boston area, did a uh, favorite meal that uh, you might have had there? I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> it's funny you should ask, because I was not about to hazard. No, I'm a persnickety guy, I admit it. But I was not going to hazard one of those lobster rolls, <laughs> even though that, too, is, is iconic fare. Uh-huh. Uh, in its way, it's an icon of Boston. Get yourself a lobster roll. And, Suzanne, you were the one that told me what they put on one of those, and I said, no, thanks. They said it's lobster, mayonnaise, on a hot dog bun. There you go. It, they didn't make it sound appealing. No. Yeah, sign up for one of those, Eric. And the thing costs about, what, $20, $25? It's 
it's restaurant. very expensive. It's very expensive. Our favorite meal, strangely enough, turned out to be Cuban food, which was so odd because we get Cuban food living in Florida, uh-huh. with Cuba being 50 miles away or 90 miles away. But that was a, a restaurant that was attached to the hotel we were at, and the food was magnificent. We had a wonderful, wonderful uh, casserole that they made with a chicken and rice and mashed up plantains and melted cheese. And somehow they put it together in a way that was absolutely outstanding. That sounds... So we had to we had to travel all those miles just to go eat Cuban food, which <laughs> we could have in our neighborhood. Right. And just about as far in America from Cuba as you could imagine, but maybe that makes it more exotic. I don't know. Yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. Do you remember the name of the restaurant, perchance? I don't. Um, it was. It started with Zonia. It was some somebody who probably owned a family business in mm-hmm. Havana. It's like something like Doña Havana or something like that. I'll get back to you on that, Eric. <laughs> okay. Especially if you ever plan to be uh, traveling through Boston. This is Crosstown area there, too. Lots and lots and lots of traffic. I would like to tell anybody who wants to go to Boston, please do it. You'll never forget the trip. But yeah, plan I hope to make it someday. Train- accommodations and transportation are the two big things that people, as you would expect, need to be concerned with, but Mm -hmm. especially in a very fast-paced northeastern city like Boston, because when you get there, this this happened to us. I'm telling one on us. Now, long story short, we got on a bus that had the name of the hotel where we would be staying. Okay, there we go. This was easy. Yeah, that makes sense. It turns out that there are two different buses. And the one we got on doesn't go anywhere near the actual location where a bed was waiting for us. So it took us to the Revere section of Boston, where they actually, I'm not kidding you, there was a couple there. They're looking around, taking in the sights, and we're going, man, this is kind of the circular route here. And they stopped at a Target, and they left them off because they wanted to go to a Target department store to pick up some knickknacks. So they left them. They dropped them off at this Target store. And then we're sitting there waiting to see where's the next place we're going to go. And I said to the driver, I need to buy one of those maps of the stars' homes or something, uh-huh. maps of the Patriot homes here in order to know where I'm going. And they says, well, where are you staying? And we told him the name of the hotel, and it was a cross-town location. And he says, we don't go there. <laughs> but it says right on your bus, goes, yeah, that we, we have two different kinds. And, and the bus I'm driving doesn't go there. We're going to get you back so you can catch the one that will take you out there. Uh-huh. So that was wicked crazy, and everything when you're in Boston is wicked this and wicked that. So that was wicked, wild, and crazy <laughs> getting to our destination for that evening. So I just to tell people just a little bit of, uh, you know, a forewarning. If you're going to plan to go to a big-time city, it could be Boston, it could be New York, of course, mm-hmm. Chicago, L.A., any of those places, just know your accommodations and know the transportation system better than a tourist should know it if you want yeah. your life and your visit to go easier. And you always got to pack extra patience, if you will. It's absolutely necessary because who wants to go anywhere on vacation to be frustrated? That's not advisable. But the, the city itself was absolutely magnificent. The, the cultural background is it's so pronounced. It's, it's in the air that you breathe, but they don't they insist on not making it a tourist destination, even though they welcome tourists year-round, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. They're subtle in the way they present it, and I do appreciate them for that. Yeah. And how did you get around town while you were there? 
Uh, did you rent a car or uh, public transportation? Is that uh, good in Boston? I know New York, it's you can get anywhere, but uh, how's the Boston uh, public transportation? We did not experience the Boston transportation. What we did was we got a two-day trolley pass, and the trolley did pick us up at the hotel. It goes to 15 or 16 sites, and it will bring you back to the hotel at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So we, for two days, we got a, a two-day trolley pass, and we were able to leave the hotel, see everything we wanted to see, and come back. Wow. And at one point where we needed to come back sooner, we arranged for an Uber ride from downtown Boston to the hotel, and that worked out just fine. It wasn't very expensive because it was an Uber driver. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we understand that there are a number of different lines that you can take, but we just were not that adventurous and decided we were going to stay with easy kind of transportation. Mm-hmm. And it worked for us to be able to get dropped off at all of the various sites and yeah. see everything we wanted to see. That sounds very convenient. It was. Fortunately for us, Suzanne has a high school friend that she probably had not seen in about 35 years. And they became friends recently on Facebook, which is good for that sort of thing. And Suzanne wrote to her, and we got an invitation because the, our plans were made known. <laughs> And this uh, wonderful woman, Susan, invited us up to stay with she and her husband, and it was terrific because they live on the outskirts of Portland, Maine, Mm -hmm. which is a hipster haven. It it is very touristy, but if you want fine dining, if you want to be on the Maine shores there in the harbor, if you want to learn about, again, colonial history in its own understated way, and go to see an art gallery or you might want to go and just uh, enjoy happy hour with your friends, go downtown to Portland, Maine. It's just a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. In addition to which, there's some World War II history. We went to a shipyard because Maine during the war was a huge shipbuilding enterprise. The whole town was geared towards the, uh, the naval warfare that was going on and doing their part to see that the Allies won World War II. So with that in the case, we went there, and we discovered a lot of things we didn't know about shipbuilding, number one, and also the history of the town and its relationship to World War II. In fact, what we learned was that when they built all these Liberty ships, and that's what they were known as, Liberty ships, they would build them a little thinner than I would like to see if you were going to be out there on the Atlantic Ocean and worried about U-boats. They had an interesting philosophy. They built them for speed, and they also built them to be built speedily so that if one was sunk, the idea was they could replace it very quickly. Well, that would be unnerving to me if I was a, were a sailor there. I would say, well, I'd want to have a little more ship around me than that because <laughs> you could see that the hull was fairly thin. Yeah. And that surprised me, but they wanted to build them faster than they could be sunk. And I thought, what an interesting strategy in wartime. And it's all happening there in Portland, Maine, and they still have the one of the the ships hulls there. It's a memorial and it commemorates the role of Maine in helping to win World War II. That whole Portland area is gorgeous too. The whole geography is just beautiful, and we did see the fall colors there very plentifully too. It was just beautiful. 
Nice. Now, of course, Portland, Oregon here on the West Coast, known as a hipster haven. So that's interesting to hear that Portland, Maine, also a hipster haven. Something about Portland's, I guess. <laughs> well, it, it must be. And I will tell you this, Eric, I'm glad you said that because I saw several people of various ages there who would have fit in with um, Seattle, certainly, and also Portland, Portlandia, right? They would have fit in there, no problem, for being countercultural. And some of them appeared to be, as they freely described themselves, old hippies, including the guy we stayed with, the husband of this wonderful lady. And they gave us a tour. We took a motor tour, courtesy of our good friend Greg, who grew up there. He's a Mainer through and through all his life. And he has he's retired, so he has time to just see what's going on around town and greet visitors. And he gave us a wonderful two-hour tour of Portland and the suburbs. It was extraordinary to see this town that has so much to offer and yet has so much history at the same time, yeah. history that is well-maintained. They're very proud of their identity as Mainers. You get that as soon as you arrive in town. In fact, when I said to him that back when I used to be in the apartment business in the Seattle area, I would have people who would relocate from Maine. They'd come out to Puget Sound, and more than one of them told me that it was amazing how much Washington State reminded them of Maine, back home, with all of the evergreen trees. And so when I said, you know, people come out from Maine and they say, uh, Maine is so much like Washington State, I'm told, and I see that it's true. And he said, no, you got that backwards. <laughs> it's the main identity. Maine first, and Washington came later. Okay, my bad. Fair enough. <laughs> I do want to read one thing if I've got a moment here. Yeah, we've about, got about five minutes left here in the show, but uh, go ahead. And here's what I had to say. Our listeners should think seriously about going from Massachusetts to Maine, and you cut through New Hampshire on the way if you want to make a stop going or coming back. Acadia National Park is extraordinary. It is it may be the smallest national park, and if, if not, it would be one of the smallest for sure. It's fairly compact in terms of its area on Mount Desert Island there, and yet what it has to offer is everything that you would want to see to get out in nature and to get a pure taste of New England scenery. Just magnificent. I want to read something. For, the nice man gave us a map. We showed our passes, and he gave us a, a map, and it said, Protect Acadia. This paragraph is short, but it says it all. Today, Acadia consistently ranks among the most visited parks in the U.S. During peak season, typically May to October, it can sometimes be a challenge to experience some of the park's more popular attractions without it feeling a bit crowded. Well, they're starting to fade away, these crowds, and so it wasn't too bad in terms of traffic or waiting in line for something or getting a good uh, spot to take a photograph. There, but in high season there, when you're talking about June, July, August, early September, it must be amazing there because people with when the kids are out of school and you want to go to a national park and you live in New England, they just pour in here. I see license plates from as far away as California. I did see one Washington. I saw one from Oregon. I saw a couple from Utah. People from all over want to discover Acadia, and it's certainly worth the trip and the trouble. That's for sure. Now, I'm looking at pictures as you talk about it, and it is absolutely gorgeous uh, right there on the, the water. looks like some uh, fantastic uh, rock formations and plentiful trees. Um, so, yeah, definitely looks like a good stop to make. Suzanne wanted to stop for sure today at Thunder Hole. Tell them about Thunder Hole. 
we they list several things on the map to stop and see, and this one called Thunder Hole we stopped at had a parking lot. Many buses were there, so we knew it was going to be a pretty major attraction. Well, as it turns out, there are um, rough steps that go granite steps that go down all the way to the water, but there are several gates along the way, and they had closed off what was going on at the lowest part so that you couldn't actually go all the way to the water because it was getting toward high tide and the water was coming in just enough to wash over the area that people would be standing in at low tide. And so there were quite a lot of people out there and there is a, a granite, um, I'm not sure what it was, a rock that was so huge it'd be the size of like a two-story building and it had been worn away so much over millions of years that there was a cave at the bottom of this large rock and when the water came in only at high tide for two hours the water comes in so ferociously that it creates a thunder sound and then the water goes anywhere from 30 to 50 feet into the air as it hits this cave with ferocity. And so it, there would be some little splashes, and then you would have a huge splash. And everybody was taking pictures or videos of it the way they might if they were at Old Faithful, because it was just so magnificent to see the power of the water hitting the rock and to have that come up so close to where you were standing and I could see at low tide you could get a little closer to the Atlantic Ocean but not today and not at high tide Mm -hmm. there was a lot of water there and a lot of people and it was it was thunderous and it was exciting to see that water spraying up as as high as it did well in our last 30 seconds here uh, Suzanne and Gary any um, recommendations for a trip to New England that you want to quickly get out there for the audience? Uh, it would be Bar Harbor, Maine, which is one mile away from Acadia National Park. They have accommodations to suit every pocketbook and plenty of places to eat. I would absolutely recommend Bar Harbor, Maine as a resort town and, of course, Acadia. And then if you go between there and Boston, there's a whole lot of America to visit, including interesting sites that involve American history and our struggle for independence. So this is definitely time well spent. We'll have to leave it there. We'll catch up again with you too next week. Thank you, Eric. Thanks so much for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.